Welcome to the first podcast of 2023. Happy New Year to all the listeners of the Summer Racing Podcast. I'm Matt Reid on behalf of Taz Racing and joining me is a man who's so influential to Tasmanian racing. He's managed to get a listed race change to honour him. The Tasmanian Stakes is now known as the Bear Robinson Owners <laughs> Benefit. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, uh, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but it is exciting to have a few runners in the race. So, um looking forward to it. It's probably a touch disappointing there's only five runners in but I think the beauty is every horse you know you can lay some claims why they can win the race so um it should be an exciting race and looking forward to it absolutely and I should mention I'm only joking it is of course called the Kevin Sharkey Tasmanian Stakes uh with all honors to the sponsor Kevin Sharkey uh we haven't recorded in a few weeks mate it was before Christmas, um, we've had three race meetings since then. Uh, we're not going to go into too much detail with the recap because we've got a big program on a Friday, four specials that we will have a look at. But did anything catch your eye across the, the Sheffield Cup, Hobart and, and Longford? Probably going back to Devonport, I thought the ride of Daniel Ganderton on Reward Achiever, um, jump well, summed it up. Led dictated, it was a perfect ride and the horse is never going to get beat. So that's probably one thing I really took out of the last couple of weeks. It was a brilliant ride. Secondly, the ride of Ziggy Carr on Copper Charm in the last. We sort of identified her going on might have helped this horse jump a bit better and it was able to jump on the bunny and um, the money came for it. I think it was eight fifty into about $4 and it gave back as no cause for any concern at all and it was a nice way to lead into the Christmas break. But... Since then, snap for me and the punt's been a bit downhill. So um, they're obviously the two highlights I'd had over the break. I'm sure you've got a couple more than what I have over the last couple of weeks. Feels like an eternity ago, that Devonport meeting. You mentioned the Sheffield Cup. They ran that nearly a full three seconds slower than the Golden Mile. So he got away with a bit of murder there, did Gando in front. But credit to him and and the ride wins the race. I thought Dramazing was really good in, in second and probably shows bear what we were missing with a, a clean run uh, in the, in the golden mile, but uh, that is racing. Um, yeah. Obviously disappointing with what happened at Hobart on the Wednesday, nobody's fault, but uh, super windy. That meeting had to be moving to the Friday and look, that's it's just a stitch up for everyone involved. Participants having to, to go to the races, horses backing up. The only real winners, the bookies who get a look at everyone's set from the Wednesday and a bit of early money. Uh, our guests this week, uh, Chris Hay and Wally Reggett, who basically look after the, the track in Hobart as far as the management goes. So, uh, I touched on it in the interview with them, but the track was absolutely on fire for that Friday meeting. There were three track records. Uh, the 1,400-metre race only lasted a, a couple of races before it was broken again, and, and we deserve this. Uh, another track record bear for, for your horse, two in the space of three. He loves racing at Hobart, doesn't he? Yeah, he won't be leaving Hobart. Um, he's going to back up in about uh, two and a half weeks' time, a 1,400 benchmark 76, so he goes up a bit in class, but he's in a really good vein of form and uh, he'll never leave the Hobart racetrack ever again, hopefully. Horses for courses, can't blame you with that at all. A low, low pluck I thought was super in Hobart again. That, that horse is just ab- absolutely airborne at the moment, so credit to everyone involved with him, given he's a horse that's known with having a few issues with his feet and legs. Um, Longford Cup, best horse wins that. I think Bear, Swoop Dog, he had the, the best form dropping out of the conquering. 
Uh, punters got a hold of him. The 650 was probably pretty generous from the corporates and he ended up jumping about 350. That race is just put on for Johnny Blacker every year. It seems bare four in a row for him. Absolute 10 out of 10 from Siggy. I thought she, from an awkward-ish gate, just was only the only horse he ever wanted to really be on. Swoop Dog, and I'd imagine he, he heads to a Devonport Cup now and uh, doesn't need to improve a lot to go one better than last year. Did you feel dirty, Snapper? I didn't see him in your staking plan on uh, Sunday. Uh, Swoop Dog. Well, I did have him as favourite in the race, but I was playing golf on Saturday and I sort of missed the early price and then it went on me and I ended up with the wrong swoop in the end. But uh, anyway, that that happens. Uh, yeah, Longford Cup day, Johnny Blacker, at least three of the seven winners from memory, possibly more. And I mean, I, I mentioned how well he goes at Longford. Look at the form of, of Largo Approach Bear. It's form leading in. And so it was an 18-start maiden and it had one career placing Coming off an 11th of 11, beating 16.6 on the carpet. Start before that, beating 11. The start before that, beating nine. Goes around in a maiden and picks up first prize check. I'm not real keen to follow Largo approach in a class one, though. It has to be has to be said. Yeah, Johnny also got a treble on Friday as well, Snap. So the stable is in really good form. And, um, yeah, whether you follow the form out of the Longford meeting, Time will tell. It does tend to not be actually the, the worst program as far as the form goes. Like we I think from memory up cups when he won the maybe yeah. the Hobart End Lonnie Cups won a Longford Cup. And I mean Swoop Dog, Glass Warrior, these these winners, I think the form will hold up okay. But races two and three, those two maidens were the, the among the worst I've ever had to do the form for. So they're a couple of winners that I'm not super keen to follow. Big show tonight, Bear. We've got a cracking program in Hobart on Friday. Four pro, uh, four feature races there. Uh, we'll do our $100 staking strategy on the Tassie Guineas. But before we get there, I mentioned in the opener, uh, we've got a guest interview this week. I sort of wanted to shine a little bit of a spotlight on the Hobart track and the guys that have primarily been involved along with their hardworking team in in turning around what, to be frank, was a bit of a basket case in terms of that track a couple of years ago. I think we were probably both at the track that day for the Christmas meeting where they're basically pulling plugs out of the track and essentially everything came to a head and, and two years later we're breaking track records for fun. So... Uh, I had a chat with uh, Chris Hay and Wally Reggett earlier today in Hobart, and let's have a listen to the conversation. Two special guests on the Summer Racing Podcast this week, icons of the Hobart racing track, Chris Hay and Wally Reggett. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Mike. Might just start, I'll start with you, Chris, by sort of, and then I'll get to you, Wally, how you came about getting into the positions that you're in now as, I guess, track manager and assistant track manager and your background in the industry? Yeah, no, I've been around for about 37 years now, so sort of uh, done an apprenticeship on golf courses and then moved into construction of golf courses and then um, sort of run my own business, building sports ovals and uh, maintaining sports ovals, bowling greens, golf courses and so on. And then... um, Sort of travelled a bit through through um, Queensland and um, into cricket wickets and so on, and then uh, back home to Tassie, and then um, was approached by Ricky Aiken to 
come and have a look at the position out here at Elwood uh, on the new track. So that's where I ended up. Yeah. Not much you haven't done in various <laughs> sports there. Not all good, but I've, I've, I've had some failures, don't worry about that. What about you, Will? Um, yeah, so I've started off with a local council doing my certificate two in just horticulture. Um, so I've done that for about yeah, 18 months and then a job come up here at Elwood. Um, done the civic three and turf management, and yeah, been here for 16 years and just went way up to the assistant track manager. So, just got to wait for Chris to fall off his perch <laughs> and move up one more. A lot, of, a lot of people probably wouldn't know that, that you guys look after all three codes here as well, and I'd imagine that presents its own set of challenges. Yeah, no, look, it's a there's always something happening, and obviously, we've got the um, Brighton trainer facility as well, so. Um, you know, Wally's probably known as the king of harness, so that um, sort of takes a load off me as well. And um, Wayne Blackwell and Love will look after the greyhounds as well. So pretty accomplished team, to be fair. There's not a lot for me to do in that space, um, really. Um, the blokes are on top of their game there. So, um, But the place does hum along. There's always trials or racing. So, yeah. Uh, I suppose within that, Wally, there's a lot of sort of unsociable hours that happen as well. You've always got to be trimming or sprinkling or putting water on tracks and all that stuff too. Yeah, no, there's always plenty of overtime and sort of six, seven days a week. We don't really stop. So, yeah, don't really get much of a break. That's just part and parcel of working on the tracks. Do it for the love of the game, don't we? Uh, By my count, I think we're coming up to the 50th meeting on this new track on Friday. Uh, the first one was in February 2020, so it's approaching three years. For you, while it, it probably must feel like a, a completely different track where you've covered so much ground as far as this track goes within that period. Yeah, 100%. It's just really starting to hit the straps now and starting to settle down. And um, Chris and I, we've got a good you know, nutrition program in place and sort of, um, yeah, really starting to tick along and starting to come into its own now, so... You mentioned before, Chris, that you were approached by Ricky Aitken to come on board with this track. It's probably fair to say that when you come on board, you it probably wasn't flying. It was probably pretty tough times. How difficult were those early stages? Yeah, it was probably um, one of the toughest gigs I've, I've taken on. I've prepared some wickets for some um, pretty high-profile blokes at sort of Canyon and Ponting and McGrath and these sort of fellas. They don't miss you as well, but... When I come out here and watched the first race meeting and um, looked at the track, I got in the car and thought to myself, hmm, this probably won't be long-term, but um, sometimes you look like a genius. No, I think it, it needed time um, and just a little bit more tender love and care. And um, Sometimes it, it works out for you and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think it really needed a bit more time to settle down. Um, we got some things into place that... Um, worked some things that didn't, but yeah, I, I think you know you never get too far ahead of yourself. I think we we're on the right track. You mentioned time, and, and that was probably something that in this game people aren't happy to be patient. Unfortunately, what happened with COVID and needing this track to trial and, and those sorts of things, the time wasn't afforded. It's now been three years, as I say, and the, the track seems to be racing well. Do you, do you feel like? It will be at its peak in how many number of years or maybe it's it's at its peak now? Oh, look, I think we've still got some improvement to go. Um, there's always something in turf that you want to get better or make better and we're still learning so much about the track. I mean, the track's evolving now. Um, we've got to keep an eye on is it getting too firm? 
um, to, to get away from you. Know, from before, we, we were concerned about root growth and holding the track together. Now we're concerned about how much um, compaction relief we put in there to make sure that we don't tip ourselves into that firm range. So it, it's always evolving. It, it, the last six months, that track has changed so much um, from applying water to aerating and so on. So we're always testing root systems, testing compaction, testing our, you know, our winter grass will pop its head up again, no doubt. Um, and all of them things. So there's challenges every day you walk that track. Well, that was probably never more evident than the last meeting that you guys had here preparing the track for a hot, windy Wednesday that it blows a bit too hard and then you've got to back the track up a couple of days later. For you, well, I know you do a bit up in Launceston with the barriers and stuff. What would you sort of say that the characteristics of this track are compared to, say, a, a Mowbray? Um, well, they're, they're built by the same company, so um, they've got the same base and all that. Um, <clears throat> our sort of track seems to, you know, um, big, wide, big long straight, big wide straight, um, sort of horses make around from anywhere and Lonnie sort of a bit more tighter turns and stuff like that, but they're pretty similar with their profiles and their grass and that, so. Yeah. In this industry, everyone seems to know pretty much everything about everything. You guys get a lot of feedback from tracks too hard or it's too soft, grass too long, grass too short. What's the most annoying bit of commentary that you get about the track? Uh, I, I think some of the things that annoy me is we, we downgrade a track with a shower of rain. So anyone that's been to the beach, the hardest bit of sand is where the water is. If you walk up on the sand dune, you struggle to get through it soft. That probably fascinates me a bit where we can put on 80 mil of rain during the uh, 80 mil of irrigation during the week, but we get two mil of rain on a race day and we downgrade the track. Um, it's a sand-based track. In my time here, I don't think we'll ever get a race meeting called off because the track is too wet. It just drains so well. We, we have... 100 mil of rain in two days and we still race the following day or two days later. Um, the track is designed to drain. That's They're an all-purpose weather track. So that's probably one of the things that surprises me because when we go out and test when we've had that shower, the track hasn't changed. It's still either in that soft five or good four range with yeah. two or three mil of rain. Those downgrades will tend to be made in consultation with you guys or you just sort of present the track and then it's up to, I guess, stewards and jockeys to work together around where they think the rain should be? Yeah, we present the track in the morning and um, then it's more the jockeys and stewards make their mind up whether they downgrade or upgrade throughout the day. So we don't really have much to say about that once the races start. Is there a preferred rail position where you think this track races at its absolute peak? From my perspective as, I guess, a, a punter and a viewer and analyzer of different rail positions, I, I haven't found anything. I don't think there's a bias in, in any position, but interested think when, whether you guys think there might be. Oh, I don't think there is. I, I think the strength of the track's probably from true to six or eight. That's probably where our best race in. Any, anything outside of there, we get limited, obviously, um, race fields and, or, and we start to get into where we've trialled a bit more. So I think anything from true out to six, eight, whatever, I think is really good ground for this track. I don't think there's any... Any boss that I've seen in my time here, I think we've always presented a track where a horse can win from most positions. Um, some of the things that probably fascinate me a little bit is how quickly they drift off the rail. When I look down the track and I walk the track most races, 
the rails untouched and we seem to drift off a little bit quicker than we uh, that I anticipate the ground looking at the ground as a turf um, management perspective that ground is still in pristine condition yeah you'd have to think well based on so we're coming off a a race meeting where they ran three track records. I think it was the 14 and the mile were broken. And I think to your point, Chris, maybe the jockeys are starting to pick up on that a little bit and saving ground on the inside is, is probably where you want to be. Yeah, look, I I think, and I think it's the same for the jockeys as well. As the track evolves, they're learning about the track as well as we are. So I think they're starting to nut it out like we are. That You can win from anywhere on this track now, I think. I think it's a, a really fair track to race on. So I think they're, they're starting to think the same as we are when we present it. All the testing we do across the track, it's so even, the penetron is so even, the moisture is so even. So we we think that they're probably learning about the track as we are as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said before, 50 meetings and given the history of the track, still a pretty small sample. Uh, are you locked into where we'll be for Derby and Cup? Well... Yeah, we'll um, go true for Derby and six for Cup, like we've done the last few years, so it always works good. Gives them out of any damage on the Friday night. So Hope for a bit of decent weather. It's been a mixed bag for that carnival in recent times. Uh, last one, and I'll get you both to answer this. So you guys work pretty closely together. I was a member of a golf course, and I won't say where, but there was an incident where one of the greenkeepers accidentally put Roundup on a bunch of the greens and nuked about nine of them. Things can happen uh, when you're managing turf and tracks. Have you guys had any bust-ups in your time? Uh, we, we haven't had any bust-ups in work relation, but we we bust up a little bit over the AFL a bit. Um, that's probably where we lock horns a bit. Um, obviously, as Wall was a, a Colton supporter, um, They've got that arrogance and swagger about it, and um, we've sort of just the low life, the North Melbourne supporter. So, uh, uh, not really anything to do with work, but yeah, we we do get animated over the AFL. Right of reply for you, well, there's a, well, yeah, I'll, I'll rephrase the question to you. How do you manage to have so many side bets with different people, be it <laughs> colleagues, mates at Taz Racing, where they'll somehow offer you insane odds about? Carlton to beat their team and you just continuously clean up? Well, they, they like to call me the gypsy, but also I think they just underestimate Carlton and I'll just take advantage of it, I suppose. People have been locked up for less. <laughs> Opposing Carlton's been a good play over time. Uh, <laughs> lads, this track I think is racing as well as anywhere in Australia now. Credit to all the work that you guys have done and good luck for the upcoming carnival. Thanks, Matty. Cheers, Matty. Two really good men, Bear, two really good operators. I mean, you, you are forever singing from the treetops about how well Hobart's performing. And look, you just can't argue. You can punt there with confidence. And I think um, owners, trainers, everyone can head there with confidence as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the boys do a great job. And I suppose I get a touch frustrated. You hear people being critical of the track, but when it races good, you don't hear those same people giving the... Um, giving the track staff a pat on the back. I mean, I think it just in general life, people are too often critical, but they never give people a pat on back and say, You've done, you're doing a good job, mate, or well done. And, like, we all like a pat on the back. So, um, obviously, Chris and Wally don't do it for that, but I just think the way the track's racing, it gives everyone confidence going to the races that you know your horse is going to get every chance, whether that's an owner or a punter. 
um, you know, hats off to the boys and whatever they get paid, they should be getting paid double because I wouldn't uh, do their job for quids, mate. The boys out there are doing a great job. And even if you look at the lawns out there, how green and lush they look like when you, as I said the other week, when you walk into Elwick, it's just a place you want to be at. And I just really hope that this Friday that starts off, that we get a huge crowd out there for the Friday twilight meeting. Yeah, 20 degrees um, should be very, very pleasant on track. Let's get stuck into that eight race program in Hobart. First race is 217. Rails plus seven. We'll be working with a good four, I'd imagine. We'll get the usual soft five posted in the morning, and I suspect we'll be running on a good four uh, time jump uh, come race time. And I can't see any reason to think that we won't get a fair racing surface. It, it just really very much seems to be tempo and, and best rides win the races in Hobart in, in recent times. Uh, we might start with what I'd say is the feature race of the program. We do have two listed $125,000 races on the card there, but I think given the numbers and a bit of a draw card here from the Waterhouse and Bot Stable, we'll, we'll say that the Labrakes Tasmanian Guineas is the feature. And it's great to see uh, the Waterhouse Bot Stable supporting Tassie Racing. It, it's not uncommon to see Gay um, bringing a runner down here, and, and she looks to bring a reasonably handy one in Russian Ronnie, who of course takes on Bello Bow and a host of locals that primarily come via the three-year-old trophy. We do have a market for the two feature races at the time of recording, which is on Wednesday night, about quarter to eight it is at the moment. Bello Bow, 205, Bear Russian Ronnie, 260, uh, Royal and Tough, Airborne for Rowan Hamer at 750, Jaguar Stone at 850, and then you're out to Sharma's last at $23. Uh, I'll start with the the Waterhouse bot running bear. I, sh- I assume you would have looked at uh, that horse's recent races. What did you make of those victories? Yeah, pretty tough on pace. Like when it won at Sandown uh, last start, it looked like the Kavanaugh horse, I think it was, was going to go straight past it. And um, it really toughed it out to the line. And um, I jumped on after work and I had a look at his trial from the other day and there's no vision or what I couldn't find any. Oh, sorry, you no sound. See it. But, yeah, and yeah, you could it's tough to see. But if it said it ran first and it absolutely brained him. So um, it's going to obviously give Bello Bow probably the biggest um, competition it's had in, in this preparation. Um, but I've got such a huge opinion of Bello Bow. I think you need to be seeing out a better than a benchmark 70 type of horse from Melbourne to knock off Bello Bow. So I still, you know, it's going to be all Gay's horses are hard to run down. I was actually a bit surprised I didn't see Froggy Newt in Gay's ride. When I heard Froggy was coming down for the meeting, I assumed he'd be on Gay's horse, but um, I see he's on one of Adam's in Sharma's last. So I'm uh, I'm still firmly in uh, Bello Bow's corner, mate. Yeah, I heard a little whisper that um, Winona Costa might have been booked before they were aware that Froggy might have been coming down. Whether that's true or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, Winona has ridden the horse before, so I guess there's a bit of um, inside running there, so to speak, in that, that she does know the horse. Uh, the fact that the the Waterhouse bot runner here, Bear, from a map perspective, makes this race pretty interesting because, as you said, and a lot of Gay's horses are ridden in this fashion, he looks to be an on-pacer. And we've seen that Bellow Bow is just too uh, brilliant for them from the gates and our local horses can't keep up. So assuming he jumps well as he normally does from one, you probably think Brendan assesses what Winona's doing out wide and um, maybe lets that horse go and is happy to, to have a bunny for to chase for once. Um, I think the first 200 metres of this race will be fascinating, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I probably thought the way Gay's horses are, it'll probably come across and Brendan will get a beautiful sit behind it. But obviously, I'm not a jockey, Matt. So um, that's just what I thought might happen. Um, and I obviously, Russian Roney's going to take Bellow Bow well and truly into the state. And I think Brendan will just ease off the heels and go whack. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Bellow Bow's is clearly the one to beat in this field. I, I marked him about. Uh, where are we? I've actually got him at a dollar eighty. Russian Ronnie at three fifty uh, in my market. Like you say, I think I definitely respect the placement here of Russian Ronnie because they would have or Roni, they would have known for a while that they've got to come down here and take on Bellow Bow. That they're sort of not running scared. They might have Derby aspirations, so they think, well, we get a cider at the track here, and if we can beat the the good local. Well done. That if not, we press on to the Derby anyway, knowing that he probably won't do that. Um, interesting note: Jaguar Stones uh, in the field here. She was nommed for the Phillies and Mares benchmark sixty-four on this program, but Adam presses on to the Guineas, which he did say that he would do after she placed in the three-year-old trophy. But he mentioned in that post-race to me that we might see a bit of headgear for Jaguar Stone. There's no gear change here as far as the application of blinkers go, so. He's keeping that little ace up his sleeve at the moment. Do you see her as, I guess, the the third pick bear? The market doesn't have a lot between her and Royal and Tough. I mean, from a punning perspective, I thought, like, if I had $100, which I think we do have imaginary money for this. We do. do. I'm going to have $90 on Bellow Bow, and I want to take the uh, fixed odds. I I can see $2.05 available on lab brokes at the moment, Snapper. So can we just lock that in? Yep. And I'm also just going to have a little $10 on Sharma's last at $23. I thought it got home pretty well the other night. It was obviously wide and back, and that wasn't the place to be. Obviously, Jaguar Stone was a nice ride by Troy Baker, got along the fence and finished obviously a fair bit closer than Sharma's last. But I just thought, you know, Froggy takes over. Obviously, he's riding in a rich vein of form in Melbourne at the moment. I'm just thinking at $23, it's probably the one the market might have overlooked a touch. So I would like to have $9 on Bellow and a little $10 sneaky bet at $23 on Sharma's last. Very, very interesting. Uh, we, What's the score? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, in terms of our $100 strategy, so yeah, we'll recap the Sheffield Cup. We both made the fine reward achiever, which was good. Uh, I went 50 reward achiever, 50 on Dark Wanderer. I'll tell you what, Bear, if uh, if my Devonport Cup punning goes anything like the Golden Mile and Sheffield Cup, it, it's not going to be good for my welfare. I found Dark Wanderer at $8. He was backed into the $3.50 favourite and didn't fire a shot again, which is basically what happened with Dramazing in the Golden Mile. But uh, credit to you, you were also on reward achiever. You actually had the, the Quinella in that race as far as you, your bets, 40 reward achiever, 40 Dramazing, and 20 on the old White Hawk who probably didn't have that race run to suit him, but he'll probably live to fight another day in the Devonport Cup given uh, he's missing the Brighton Cup. Uh, I hadn't really thought about what I was going to do for this $100 staking strategy, and you've thrown me out here. Um, I am firmly in agreement in regards to Sharma's last, I've got him as a clear third pick in this race. Uh, the market's clearly forgotten that he absolutely demolished Royal and Tough uh, when he brained them on debut, did Sharma's last. He won by 4.2 lengths 
And since then, Royal and Tuff's gone on to win three times. Sharma's last sort of fell in in his class one. And um, I thought he was super, as you said, in the three-year-old trophy bear. It's forever been a, a profitable sort of punting recipe to try and find those horses that finish against the Launceston pattern out there wide. He ran past Justin Eads, who was very impressive winning in Hobart. He ran past Cloudy Knights, who was very impressive winning on the same program. Granted, he's got to beat the stable mate here, Bello Bow. He's, he's probably going to be back giving a start again, particularly drawn gate nine. But I love the fact um, that Froggy knew it goes on. I, I noted that EBB did a, a really good job back in the field with a, a stick in the left hand, but the horse was under riding a long way from home. And uh, I don't think there's many better uh, left-handed whip riders than Craig knew it. So uh, I've got Sharma's last a, a pretty firm third pick in the race. Uh, I'm probably, I'll go with my 100 strategy bear. I'll follow you in with 10 on that horse to win at the $23 and I'll fix the rest to place uh, 90 at $3.50, I think we are. With, Getting strategic uh, here. Yeah, I was, well, I, could, I didn't want to go. a real battle. I didn't want to go the exact same <laughs> strategy as you, but uh, yeah, so we're 90 at 360, Sharma's last of place, a good old-fashioned one by nine, but yeah, yeah. I couldn't really talk anyone about taking the, the shorts about Bellow Bow. Just, it'll be interesting in Bear to see what the market does with the gay horse, because I think ultimately that's going to decide what happens with the Bellow Bow price. If if some of the bigger players decide that there can be an upset there, then we obviously might get a better than the 205 that's being offered about Bellow Bow, but with his SP profile, the numbers he's been running, the map, particularly if sort of the fence is holding up well, as I suspect it will, you would have to think he probably trends towards starting something more like that $1.70, eighty that, that you mentioned. Yeah, I think so. And as I said before, I think if Froggy was on Gay's horse, I reckon you, you might even see Gay's horse really firm up. But I think with Winona on, that it'll slightly get out and Bellow, as you say, will probably start odds on. I'm keen to see Jaguar Stone back in Hobart. We've been saying for a while, I think she'll be a better Hobart horse. I just think uh, the stable maiden and a couple of others might be a bit sharp for her, but there'll be a good race here somewhere. Gigi's Gemstone's an interesting one here. Bear placement in Devonport. We kind of called it going into that meeting that she might be a bit vulnerable. Um, she unfortunately went shocking, but I get, uh, sorry, he went shocking, but I guess the fact that he's in this race suggests that there wasn't any issue in terms of soundness and, and maybe the trip up to Devonport and even the carpet itself might have just been the fly in the ointment and he wouldn't be the first horse that that's happened to. Yeah, and obviously they wouldn't be racing him on Friday if he hadn't pulled up well. And, you know, obviously the trip away probably might have done him the world of good. He might just not have handled the track, which as you've touched on before, a lot of horses don't handle Devonport. So um, I wouldn't be giving up on him, that's for sure. But I'm just not sure if he's quite ready for this level, this stage of his career. Yeah, agree with that. Uh, well, we've for the second year running, we've got an absolutely brilliant version of the Ladbrokes Tasmanian Guineas. Uh, it does look a race in two, but I think you and I both agree that it might bat a little bit deeper than that. A uh, very quick break, and we'll come back and have a look at the Kevin Sharkey Tasmanian Stakes. Ladbrokes' new bet ticket now available. Watch the exclusive live feed on your Ladbrokes app and see where the big bets land. Get the down low on the download. Black Brokats! 
Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. First leg of the quarter, 4.47 local time. I mean, you mentioned off the top bear, but the elephant in the room is the fact we've only got five in the race. It is disappointing, but we can only focus on what we've got and uh, must be a real thrill to you to have a share in four of these runners. Of course, the odd one out is Rebel Factor. Yeah, it is. And I, I was chatting to my old man this afternoon. I just pinched myself. I'm very lucky, you know. I don't care that my shares are only two and a half or five percent. I'm still lucky enough to experience these horses racing at this level, and I can't wait to get out there on uh, Friday, Arvo. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going to stand because <laughs> I can't be standing with the Inevitables owners. I can't be standing with Mandela Effect or First Accused, and um, well, good mate Shawnee Willis is in Bond Street. Bo's actually not going to be there, so you might see me standing on my own, mate. So um, yeah, just just hope one of them wins. Well, the, the market for this race, and it is a race that these stables know how to win. Um, Scotty Brunton's won this race three out of the last four years, including with one of these runners, Mandela Effect, three years ago. And Team Wells won it back in um, 2018 with Gigi's top notch. The Inevitable's favourite here at $1.70. First accused has had good market support, five into three ninety. He's second favourite ahead of Rebel Factor 4, Mandela Effect 21, Bond Street Bow. Twenty-six dollars. Uh, th- this field's obviously pretty exposed. Bear, with the I guess the exception of Bond Street Bow, might start with the outside of the field. Interesting placement, Bond Street Bow in this race. Um, was this has this been sort of a little target? I assume you're trying to get to the Hobart Cup with him. Yeah, I, I mean the way he's rated now, he's around 72, 73. So we've got to kick off somewhere, and he only had his last start towards the back end of November and and the dream is to try and get into the Hobart Cup. So um we probably thought we'd throw him in this race, um, thinking there might be a field of nine or ten and just a nice kickoff point. But as it turned out there's only five in the race and um yeah, I, I assume he'd roll forward and run along and see how long he can hang on for basically. But um the plan with him would potentially get through this unscathed and then head to the twenty two hundred metre race at Hobart in a couple of weeks' time. And if things go well there, then hopefully sneak into the Hobart Cup with 54. Well, he's going to pick up a minimum check of $3,125. So that that's a good result. Uh, speed map for this race, Bear. Rebel Factor, I think with how the track was playing that night, it, it played a part in, in Brendan's tactics in the conquering from Barrier 9. He draws gate one here. I guess if... if his chance of winning this race, Rebel Factor, is to to bowl along and try and pinch maybe a, a bigger gap on the inevitable than he had in, in the conquering. And I thought the horse that maybe sits outside him would be or try and tries to sit outside him is probably a Bond Street bow or, or first accused. But I note the blinkers come off first accused and drawing a little bit wider. Maybe be keen to see him ridden just a little bit colder given he didn't finish off super in the conquering. Yeah, I mean, that's up for Scotty and Froggy to work out. But I think the way Bond Street can jump, though, snap, he might end up on top. You know, if Brendan takes a sit and sit in behind him and first accused might cruise across and sit outside the leader. But, yeah, I mean, as I said before, I'm not a jockey, mate, so I don't know what they'll end up doing here. All, all I know is there's only five in it and the inevitable is not going to be too far off from at any stage of the race. So he's obviously going to be pretty hard to beat. Well, to that point, I know as a footy coach, I'm sure you would have sent plenty of taggers out with instructions to say, don't <laughs> let this guy out of his sight. The inevitable draws two, Rebel Factor 
draws one. I think there might be similar instructions to Dave to say, see that backside of Rebel Factor there. If you can track that everywhere it goes until the home corner and, and run past him, that, that might be in the instructions. I can see if Rebel Factor does sort of roll along and, and Dave could slot him behind, he'd probably be pretty happy there. Are you surprised to see a dollar seventy about the inevitable bear? He started dollar fifty in the conquering. Yeah, I mean I sent a few messages to the boys when the market came out he's dollar sixty and we're all probably a little bit surprised with that. So I see he's out to a dollar seventy now as you've just touched on. So obviously agencies that give you a boost, you might get dollar eighty. So it's not a bad little bet in a five horse field, horse that's won a million dollars and um, he's fit and healthy, and there's no bone chip. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be hard to beat. But full respect for Rebel Factor. He probably exceeded my expectations on how we went last start. I was, you know, he, he sat outside first security and put him to the sword pretty easily. And he took the little fella to beat him in the last 50 metres. So, um, full respect to Rebel Factor. And just back to your comment before about tagging you know, I did like to try and stop a couple of opposition better players but obviously in the horse racing game you're not allowed to do that snap so um yeah absolutely but the market for this race bear the, the horse I'm surprised by and we discussed this before we came on air so the conquering was a, a really slowly run race first accused led rebel factors set outside him so the leaders were entitled to give it a really good kick and that's what rebel factor did and he, he ran straight past first accused very easily. First accused uh, has never won past 1,400. His only two mile runs were as a three-year-old. Uh, he's, he's now a five-year-old. Froggy goes on, blinkers come off. I thought $5 was short bear, and then he's been backed into $4. He's second favourite here. I just don't see what the market is seeing about first accused. And I think, to be frank, he's the reason that you're getting very, very backable odds about either the inevitable or rebel factor, whichever out of the two obvious picks that you're keen on. Yeah, I'm first accused number one fan and obviously been sticking up for him over the journey, but I, I can't understand why he's fives in the 390, to be honest. I mean, I thought he was pretty disappointing the other night. And yeah, I mean, he just got touched off in the guineas as a three-year-old over the mile, but he'd have to improve several lengths to be beating Rebel factor or the inevitable home, in my opinion. Yeah, perhaps it's the perhaps it's the the froggy factor, but I don't think Liam Reardon did a, a hell of a lot wrong. No, he did um, nothing wrong at all. Yeah, in the conquering, I thought the old boy Mandela effect. He, he probably had the right part of the track and a bit of a sucky run in behind him, but definitely caught the eye. And um, this is a race he's won before. Yes, we know he hasn't won for a while, but. Geez, he'd have to be a, a sneaky chance if any of the obvious two are, are off their game. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's obviously been at the level before and and you know that he gets a strong mile. So um, he'll obviously just be behind the inevitable in the run, I would have thought. And if you can tag under his, the little fella's back for as long as possible, he might be able to run into a placing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've got four in it, mate, luckily. So I just hope one of them wins. Yeah, well, it's sort of probably not a betting race for you given the... No, no um, need. Yeah, given the stakes you've got going around for prize money. Probably difficult to talk anyone out of the mugs multi here, Bear, though. The inevitable win to Bellow Bar. I'm sure it was a popular one on Conquering Night. You're getting about 340 about it here. I think that's going to be a, a pretty popular bet. And I've, I marked the inevitable $1.35 in this race and uh, Rebel Factor 
a 385 and then I don't have anything else shorter than $20. So I think there's plenty of value in the shorts about the inevitable. I know he was beaten in this race at short odds uh, last year, but I think he's definitely going better. And I mean, you'd know Barry pulled up with a bit of an issue after that and he's sound as a button now. So I, I just think seventy. it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think there is value in that price. And uh, assuming he's somewhere near that, I'd be suggesting a, a pretty strong play on him come race day at those odds. Well, let's go and have a look at uh, the other two supporting features. Uh, we'll stick with the quaddie at the moment before we jump back and have a look at, at the two-year-olds. Uh, the Brighton Cup, we don't have a, a market for this race, Bear, at the time of recording. It's an interesting little race. Glass Warrior, uh, 90 handicap rater, is the only horse that's above 54 kilos. Uh, she'll carry 59. Um, what do you make of the Brighton Cup? Of course, winner gets ballot free into the Hobart Cup. Yeah, it's uh, be nice to have one in it to get ballot free into the Hobart Cup snap, and I think it's all 50,000 this year. So, um doesn't look to be an overly strong race on paper. Um, obviously, it's touched on Glass Warrior's got 59. The rest are in on the minimum. So um, if Super Swoop had a drawn a gate, I might have been keen to have a little play there. Um, one, th- uh, Not a Brass Rose who's obviously drawn out, but I actually think it was a pretty nice win the other day. And I I know that it's ran some better races uh, in Victoria earlier in the year. So it um, be quite interesting to see how it goes out over a trip. You'd have to respect the the booking of Froggy in that in that field too for not a brass razu. Yeah, absolutely, and and also Scotty's other runner, Travelling Gigolo. I touched on after its first up run at Devonport. Um, I thought it was a good run there, bit of a pipe opener, and the further it goes, the better. I just didn't quite know what to make of its trial the other day against Bond Street Bow, but out to twenty one hundred, I think you'll see a better run from Travelling Gigolo as well. Yeah, he's. I think he's, without doubt, the progressive horse in the race, travelling gigolo. Just not sure what to make of his setup. He was really good resuming over a mile uh, in the gold mile. He was one of the best closers in the race. And as you say, I, I think he was clearly looked after in that trial, but he then jumps to 2,100 metres. And I think the Hobart Cup's a race that they, they definitely want to get to. So I would think they're they're here to win it, but... There's just that lingering lingering query off that setup whether this one maybe comes one too soon. But over the Hobart 2100, he's had six starts for four wins travelling gigolo. I mean, uh, he definitely looks to be the horse on the rise. I know Glass Warrior, she's the class in the race. She's only won four in her career, though. Obviously, one of those was a Lonnie Cup. I think she's got a couple of black-type wins, one from when she was a juvenile. might have been a Launceston Guineas from memory, but I mean, her last win was going back two years, Bear. I think she was only fair um, or probably did enough given um, we know she's a horse that needs ground uh, in the two mile races at Devonport. But I mean, maybe she comes up favourite here just given her, her rating its edge, but would you be keen to be back class warrior? Not this time. And I think especially she's gotten a bit older, I think she runs better races deeper into a prep um obviously she's only third up again on friday well i suppose she then after this one head to the 2200 meter race at hobart in two and a bit weeks time and then i'd assume again she'd go to the hobart cup so um yeah i probably wouldn't be that, that keen to be on her on friday but class can take you a long way 
Yeah, agree. Yeah, interesting race, the, the Brighton Cup, just from the standpoint, if you look past her, it's sort of set weights and you're going a long way down to find a few of these horses that are like Sunset Gun, the decider, they're 59 Raiders. I know you mentioned not a Brazu, but comes out of a maiden class one with a very bunched finish where I've got a bit of doubts over that form. Two horses I'm looking at here, Bear, and it'll be difficult to get too involved in two-horse play because they're both probably going to be back. I mentioned Travelling Gigolo. Um, I think he's the best horse in the race. I think um, if he's ready to go and, and here to win, uh, I think he can absolutely be cementing a, a spot in the Hobart Cup. And, and you touched on Super Swoop. I was sort of sticking up for him at a big price in the Longford Cup uh, last or a couple of days ago, and, and thankfully he filled a hole for us. I was sort of maybe um, a bit disrespectful with some of the words I mentioned in my preview in regards to Super Swoop, but this horse has had his first start in Tassie was in November, 2020. He's had 24 starts since then. Uh, He's had nine starts at 1800 meters or more for four wins and three minor placings. Only two times he hasn't placed. And one of those misses was in the 2021 Hobart cup when he was woefully outclassed and only beat two runners home. So when you just can't even look at Super Swoop until he gets to a trip uh, and he gets to that here. So I think he's a horse. Siggy Carr goes on, obviously great relationship with John. They just had a Longford Cup winner. He'll be back. He'll keep coming all day. I think if he's each way odds, he's probably one that you can afford a, a ticket to old Super Swoop because he's, his record when he gets to a trip in Tassie is, is really quite strong and he often goes around big prices because the market's putting too much weight in his runs at 14 and 16 when he, he just simply is, is there for a look. Yeah, agree. And just one more I'd like to touch on, Snap. Bell Ringer Boy, obviously you liked it last start. Um, is he going to get you again at all on Friday? The old Bell Ringer, eh? That was an interesting race. The leaders go nuts. Cole's called it. It can't win at the top of the straight. Then all of a sudden it looked home and we get knocked off by Captain Morgan who's <laughs> running underneath the grandstand on the front grass by the looks of it. Uh, the old bell ringer, I think he's probably a, a query at 2,100. I thought he would have gone to the Longford Cup, to be honest, Bear, after that Denport run, but he didn't. Um, he'll be back giving a start, and I'd probably need to know that a horse is going to be very strong at the end of the trip to be to be powering over the top. Um, I've got him at, at sort of a 10 or $11 chance in this field, so I'd probably need a, a good double-figure price to get involved with the bell ringer. But two I'm looking at a, a travelling gigolo and super swoop. No arguments there, mate. The last of our feature races, Bear, is the first one on the program. The Alexandra Plate was won by a pretty handy horse last year in Bello Bow. We've only got a field of six. We haven't seen much depth to our two-rolled races so far this season, but we can only focus on what's here, and it's a $50,000 purse. And no markets once again. I guess the big question here, Bear, what do we do with Thoris of Mur? Well, I'm on the tools Friday, and I reckon I'll knock off at about 2.15 uh, and just sit on the phone and watch this race snap. So, um, yeah, we got the 2.30 the other night, and he started $1.30. So, um, I mean, he probably can come out and win again. Probably will, actually, but uh, I'll just be watching this time around. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, yeah, obviously heavily involved. Uh, the market sort of saw what we saw and got carried away. Just it's worth remembering that night that it was super windy as far as Thoris of Mer goes. He, he sat outside the leader and eventual winner there, Cairns, and 
Uh, he wobbled like a drunk up the straight. The gear changes here for for Adam Trinder. Crossover nose band first time. Earmuffs only first time. He draws barrier two there. And given the number one runner is Bobble, who blew the start badly in her trial, she does get winkers on race day. But I'd expect that uh, Thoris and Mir might be too professional. And, and if he can cross to the rail, given what happened last time, you'd think that would be a big advantage. I think off that last start, SP probably comes up pretty short again, but she was once bitten, twice shy, particularly in regards to two-year-olds. Um, going through them, Bear, I think Popper Leader, we know what we're getting with her. She's reasonably professional, good bit of gate speed, might struggle at the end of 1,100. And I know she's only lightly raced, but a couple of the others might just have a little bit more upside. I thought kaboom, kaboom. I, I backed her... Um, when she debuted, she settled last in the in the race that Popolita was in. It was won by another Graham McCulloch runner in a countersphere. I thought she hit the line really well, and and she made a mess of them in that trial where Bobble missed the kick. So I thought they're probably the two as far as exposed form goes uh, that are that are probably the picks. Kaboom, Kaboom, and uh, Thoris and Murr. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, an extra 100 metres too will help kaboom, kaboom, I think. So, um, yeah, as it said, I think I'm just going to watch this two-year-old race snap and, yeah, just get ready to get out there after that. Yeah, we're still learning, that that's for sure. I sort of mentioned this with every two-year-old race that passes, but I'm not convinced we've seen the Elwick Stakes or Gold Sovereign winner yet. And I guess we, we learn a little bit more on... Uh, Friday, but uh, yeah, if they put up 2.30, Thoris of Mir, I don't know, I don't think I'll be diving in again. I, I have marked him pretty short, but yeah, my, my fingers are well and truly burnt by um, what happened in Launceston. Uh, other races on the program, Bear, I thought definitely, I mean, there's probably some, well, there are clear picks in the two listed races, and I think probably um, there might be a shorty in, in the two-row race, but a couple of the others look fairly open. I'm not sure if you've had much of a chance to have a good look, but I think um, some blowout results might easily be had in a few of the support races. Yeah, just let me know, Snap. Um, obviously, I've touched on you, the professional, and on the bloke on the tools during the day. So um, once you sent me a little schedule on what horse races we had to study, I was feverishly studying after four o'clock knock off today, mate, just to have these four races done. So um, I'll probably hit you up tomorrow night once you've had your bets to see if there's any little uh, diamonds in the rough for your old mate. Well, we'll have a have more detailed look, and it's obviously hard when we're we're not dealing with markets. I will say that that three year old trophy form held up superbly in Hobart on Friday. Mm. I touched on Justin Eads and, and Cloudy Nights earlier, so maybe there's a push there. And bearing in mind, I ha I haven't done these races in detail yet. Pink Beauty. She goes to the Phillies and Mares benchmark 64, takes on the older horses. And flying to Paris is probably the one bear that, that sticks out on first look at sort of acceptances. She did get the right run, but chased home Bello Boda run second. And she now drops back to a class one. And as I said, that form held up superbly well in, in lesser races last week. So um, she's probably the pick, but... Keep an eye on the Taz Racing website and the socials and SEN and see what we're tipping up, if we can find anything in those other races. Uh, we'll finish That's off good. the podcast with um, Bear's Brief and Snap Special. What have you got for us this week, mate? I was going to clip you, actually, for not tipping uh, your love child to win the Longford Cup, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a good mood, so um, I won't be clipping anyone. Um, there's, this is no criticism. 
but I'd love uh, I'd love the TRC to be proactive um, about the Hobart Cup draw. Um, obviously, I reached out to you the other day about why the Longford Barrier Cup draws weren't weren't out, and you said they were doing a draw later that night at the Longford Arms. Does that sound right? Uh, the Queen Queen's Arms Hotel. It was. Yeah. Yeah, in Longford, was it? I think so. It must be a local yeah. pub. I've yeah, anyway. done a lot of drinking at Longford. I need to do a bit more. I think we can research that for the pod. Write it off on tax. <laughs> Junk it. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, I think uh, going to the days where we just want to sit at the racing club and get a number drawn out and an owner comes up and picks up a trophy with a number on, I want the, the TRC to show some real initiative. Ring David Walsh. Um. Get a boat sorted, get all the owners and anyone else involved in Taz Racing or any racing people that are really keen, get, get the boat out on the Derwent, do the um, acceptances as normal, but then we could have a draw on the boat, just wine uh, and dine some of the owners who put a lot of money in the industry. And I just think it would liven things up a little bit, give people something to look forward to, something a bit different, which is what the Hobart Cup is. It's really our showcase race for the, for the year in Hobart. So I just think, um, yeah, it'd be something a bit different, but I think it'd have some real merit. Yeah, I like that idea. I think anything that the clubs can do to to boost the profile of the barrier draws and maybe support local businesses or, or put the race on the map is is a good one. I really like that idea, Bear. Who knows? Um, hopefully we might be able to sort something out there. Sounds good. Uh, Snap is special this week. A little bit of a whack, um, but jeez, oh, no, nah, not not too bad. Um, just sort of sticking up for the punters this week, Bear. That's we're we're doing our best for the punter. We always try to. Uh, Devonport Cup week, Tassie Stakes, Tassie Guineas, the Maidens Class Ones benchmarks. Those sort of races are worth twenty five thousand dollars on this program. Last year they were worth twenty two and a half thousand dollars. So. That's an 11% increase, which is, is pretty nice. Yes, I know everything's dearer and these things need to go up, but I don't know about you, mate. I haven't got an 11% increase in, in the last year and sure, you're probably not paying yourself that much more out of the business. So that, that's a nice little addition to prize money and what the races are worth. The Devonport Cup, 125K this year. It was 100K last year. We've got a $109,000 carpet charge added to the to the Denport calendar. So... Last financial year, the combined turnover across all Tassie racing codes was up 7% year on year. And look, that that's primarily how and why these prize money increases can happen. It's based on wagering turnover, point of consumption tax. It's the primary source of funding for the industry. So the, the punter essentially needs to be looked after because they're, they're funding the game here. Last Wednesday... Uh, the meeting on the 28th, the fields were out Friday and basically a third of the runners didn't have a jockey named until the Monday. So we're chipping away, trying to do the form across the Christmas period. We're just doing our best without knowing who's going to be piloting sort of a quarter of the runners and eventually most of them drop Monday afternoon. And then we get to a, to the actual meeting itself where I won't name the horse, but I, I messaged you and said, look, this horse is probably not going to run, is it? Because it was about $2.80. It was in the market, essentially stifling turnover on that race because everyone knows it's probably going to be coming out. They don't want to bet and lose 30, 
40% of their ticket and, and lo and behold, it does come out. Now, like I said, I won't name the name of the horse. It, it might have might have been waiting to get a run, but it didn't. It was scratched. Anyway, the meeting's postponed. It was windy, stitch up for everyone, bit of a disaster. All the scratchings go back in. Once again, we've got the same scenario. All of these horses that were scratched on the Wednesday. Now, a couple of them actually did run on the Friday, and God knows I, I didn't know what to make of those horses that weren't going around on the Wednesday but did on the Friday. But then the vast majority of those horses that were scratched on the Wednesday were once again scratched on the Friday. But do we pull them out straight away? No, we wait for markets to go up. We've got the exact same scenario where these horses that probably aren't going to be run, a few of them are favourites there, stifling the market, stifling turnover, and then they come out. I mean, we'd love just to have a broader picture of, of trying to look after people that essentially are funding the game and their punters. And I know a lot of these, a lot of things happen in the game and we don't necessarily are aware of, but... I think there was a few crystal clear examples from that meeting there where like it's it's just the punters are copying the middle finger and at the end of the day, we're the ones that are sort of funding the industry. So any and all decisions that can be made to try and help the punter, I think should be encouraged. Yeah, I suppose the only thing I'll counter, counteract that with, I suppose sometimes when there are early acceptances like Friday for a Wednesday meet, trainers have every right to wait to 7.30 um, on Wednesday morning. Um, but I agree with you um, saying there that like majority of the horses that will scratch for the Wednesday meet were scratching it on the Friday. So it's probably in everyone's best interest that the trainers get them scratched a bit earlier than they did. Does that make you feel better? Yeah. 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 Until next time yeah. where it happens. <laughs> just trying to, just trying to stick up for the punter and we get the early overs, all the overs are just given back to the bookies and then we've got to well, put up well, with the smashed in price when they come back up. In saying that snap, like, I mean, even GG's Misty went up 15s and then when they go up again on Wednesday night or Thursday, it goes up six bucks. Like, they should be made to hold them at what price they open them up. Like you, like Brew Horse, it opened 19s, I think, a one, and then when it reopened, it opened $5. I mean... Yeah, the punter does miss out there, mate. Yeah, it's tough. And look, in, in that scenario, I mean, it, it can't be helped. It, it's just the weather. But like you say, that's why all bookies are driving around in BMWs. Yeah, Blake on site said that to me today after he listened to the pod. He goes, you were right about these bookies and BMWs. <laughs> we might have to open our, our own shop next year. <laughs> as long all as right. you don't end up like that dicko, Blake. Well, <laughs> no comment. No comment. A <laughs> uh, bit of a marathon episode of the pod this week, Bear. We'll be recording again. Uh, quick turnaround for us. I think we're going to aim to do the Devonport Cup on uh, Monday night. Yep. Um, Bear, so, yeah, looking forward to getting up to Devonport for what's going to be a, a cracking cup card, given we've got the, the carpet charge and the associated festivities um, running for that. Uh, before we... Go. I should give a plug. Round two of the Form Plus Summer Tipping is on Friday's Thoroughbred program as well. So opportunity to win a bit of cash there for free, formplustipping.com.au. Check out the Taz Racing socials. And if you're a subscriber, you'll probably get an EDM as well. Plenty of uh, skin in the game for you on Friday, Bear. You mentioned you don't know where you'll be sitting. You'll, you'll be one of those uh, 
memes of the bloke sitting out there on the swing, just swinging by himself or something. <laughs> but probably cheering if you can punch on the winner. Yeah, I will. I will. Looking forward to it. Excited. Uh, yeah, as I said, I, I really hope there's a good crowd out there because I think we've got two of the best horses in Tasmania racing. Bellow Bow and Inevitable, and obviously Rebel Factor's the rising star. So there's three horses that you should pay money to go and see. Well said, mate. Good luck. We'll see you there on Friday.